On this episode of Sega Talk, we talk about Dynamite Ducks. Heard of it? Neither have I. How does it tie in with Sonic the Fighters? We'll tell you. And we'll also look at a hidden dirty ending for the game. All this and more on Sega Talk. SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. To Sega Talk, I'm your host George, and with me, like always, is Ben. Or no, you're Pin. I'm Ben. So you'd be the Pin. sidekick right for this episode. Right. Yeah, and it has been like always. We've never had like a solo Sega Talk. How sad would that be? Right. Just us, <laughs> me going like, "What do you think about that, Barry?" Then I look at this. I'm like waiting. I'm like, "Oh no, it's just me alone." Yes. Yeah, oh, so you're just I'll like, answer. well, I guess my personal opinion. If I'm going to ask the question to myself, God, thank God for that, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, on this episode, we're going to be talking about a game that maybe a lot of our audience have never heard of. It's called Dynamite Ducks, a cute mas- like mascot kind of game, but it's a beat-em-up. So I would say a cute-em-up, beat-em-up, I guess, uh, in a, a way. A sweet-em-up. Sweet-em-up. Maybe that could be a new term. Uh, by the le- And this one's actually developed by the legendary Sega AM2 for arcades in 1988. Uh, before we get into the episode, though, this episode was actually brought to you us by Alex Hugh. Is that how you would say his last name? Sure. And if uh, you want your, <laughs> your memories read below, you can check uh, check us out on Patreon at Patreon.com/SegaBits. But do you want to read his memories? Uh, they're here in the front. So if you pick an episode, you get your memories read first between we talk before we talk about our memories about the game. That's right. Well, here we go. This is what Alex had to say. He said, I remember discovering this gem in high school after learning about how Bean the Dynamite from Sonic was based off the characters from it and then emulating the Master System version on my school MacBook, which didn't support MAME. A little later, I downloaded the arcade version ROM to my old laptop and playing it with a friend at college and beating it. I actually revisited the game just recently and even did several doodles of Bean in an, uh, on some empty film insert boxes at work. I really hope this game gets a proper release to home consoles, which I don't see why Sega never released it as part of the Sega Ages line or in any collections, sadly. Yeah, it's not in... Um, it's not on the mini, is it? The Astro City. No, it's, it's not. not. And it would have been a perfect game. Like, why do we have yeah. Alex Kidd in there, right? Like, this game would have been pretty slick to be on there, especially since it's like a pretty much a hidden gem. And I think it would have made more sense than Arabian Nights. That's true. Yeah, and I will say I'm actually surprised this is a Patreon pick just because it's it's obscure. And also, I'll be honest, when you told me, hey, we're doing Dynamite Ducks, I was like, oh, you're picking an easy one because you also have a review to write for Monkey Balls. So you're like... Yeah. <laughs> that's what I thought you were honestly oh. doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Um, I wouldn't blame you. I'd be like, I'm doing Snail Maze if I'm like reviewing two games in a month. No, it, this was a pick. He picked it. I actually, well, like we get into our memories um, right now, but uh, mm-hmm. basically, I never heard of this game. I never played it. I understand. Like, I think a lot of people are like Alex, who like heard about it from Sonic the Fighters and the Bean mm-hmm. uh, tie-in, yeah. which we'll get into, and it's a big part of this episode. But uh, yeah, like I only heard of it. I like I seen it on list, and I always thought it was like some sort of like uh, playing game or something. I was like dynamite. It's like you know the with the weird like uh, you. Oh yeah, the umlaut. But then now if you really look at it, it makes sense. Sense it's dynamite ducks, like ducks, right. you know. So right. back then I always skipped it. And it was one in like in those eighties. It was like they had these like hits. Every, they had three games a year or something like that, or some crazy amount. And right. there was always these, like, few games you never really played from Sega AM2 even. Like, Arabian Nights is another one and Burning Rivals. So this right. was one that I skipped, and I finally got back to playing it for this episode. And I'm surprised. So, okay, first of all, like, this game is sold by the graphics, the world, the music, 
the effects, like the idea behind it, the fact that it's a beat 'em up but with mascot characters like Donald Duck or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So that all that it's done perfectly. The enemies are pretty uh, interesting with dogs and pigs and all these things you go through. It's a short mm-hmm. game, but it's a little janky. The little fighting, and I think a lot of it is more sold by the atmosphere that the game offers. But it's not a it's not a terrible game. It's actually a pretty good game. And uh, what do you think about it? Um, well, you know, this this is definitely one of those games that most people have only seen screenshots of in reference to the Sonic connection. Um, I, I a lot like Girls Garden will always be known as oh, it's that first game from Yuji Naka. You know, not oh, yeah. for the game itself. So it's one of those games, I think, that a lot of people, a lot of Sega fans, might think they have opinions on, but they've never actually played, which I think oh, is yeah. a lot of Sega games, actually. You know, like, I've, I've long said, people go, oh, I wish Sega made more games. I'm like, have you checked out the back catalog? Because there is no joke, like, 30 or 40 years worth of games you probably have never played. Oh, um, yeah. And this is one of them. This is a very obscure game. You're not going to play it unless you emulate it or you check out the Master System version, which you know, is scaled down and we'll get to that. But um, from what I've played, it's 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 fine. It's fun. It's more like, it's not like a Sonic game at all. It's more like you said, like a, a, a I'm, I'm going to say a sweet em up, you know, yeah. just like a cute, a cutesy beat em up with uh, a lot of the violence hidden by cartoonish sort of antics. So yeah, if anything, it's more like if you mashed up a Looney Tunes cartoon with Streets of Rage. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's weird. Um, so let's get into the episode. Uh, usually with these types of games, we like have a quote development, but uh, it, it seems to me like Dynamite Ducks isn't kind of not known for that, and all the big shots that get interviewed from Sega AM2 never talk about this game, or no one ever asks them questions about this game. I feel like it's just because it's so obscure that a lot of these de- developers are like, I got Yu Suzuki down. All right, let's talk about the games he developed with his own hands, you know? So, but we'll talk about the game. Uh, The game was developed on the Sega System 16B board. Uh, That would, uh, this is the board that actually powered Altered Beast and Golden Axe. So it makes sense that a beat-em-up game would be on it from Mm -hmm. Sega AM2. Well, the Sega 16 board is actually quite popular, uh, used by a lot of Sega's teams. This is actually the only Sega AM2 game on the Sega 16 board that they used. Uh, I think it's because at this point in 1988, they were going to transition to the System 32 board. And uh, Sega AM2 was actually known for making custom boards for their games for like OutRun and Afterburner. Mm. And they, mm-hmm. they, they called it the Super Scalar series of arcade boards. So this is the first game that they made on, on a board that every other system made uh, or used. So, let me see. The gallery. I was just looking at my recording. Um, so, looking at the credits for the game, it's easy to see that this game is actually kind of low budget. But then actually, now that I went and saw Afterburner's credits, who only has three people working on it with Yu Suzuki mm-hmm. doing the programming, directing, and everything. This game actually seems kind of big, actually. It has nine people involved <laughs> in it. Um, but at the time I made the notes, I thought it was pretty small. So I, that's an opposite because I guess Yu Suzuki is just a brilliant man that could do everything on a team by himself. So it's like a one-man <laughs> army. Right. Yeah. Uh, one of them, Yu Suzuki on this game, is uh, billed as a producer. We'll talk about what we think about his involvement in this game in a little bit. But uh, the main game was programmed by Satasushi Mafun, who goes by... Bin uh, underscore Chan underscore San, and uh, which is quite funny because one of the two playable characters is actually called Bin, the same B I N, um, and mm-hmm. he actually had the name Bin Bin Chan as credits as early as 1986 when he got special thanks on Space Harrier on the Sega Master System. He also worked mm. as a programmer on Afterburner, Afterburner Two. And a game designer in Turbo Outrun. Um, okay, so do you think Satoshi named Bin after his like nickname uh, within Sega AM2? He is the main programmer. Um, <laughs> I mean, do you think that, that this was a possibility? Because like he, I don't think he gets that much credit, but his name pops up a lot in these Sega AM2 games, and it's like Bin and this character's Bin, and I think this is his first project as a lead 
developer, I think, because he was co-developing with Afterburner with uh, Yu Suzuki. Yeah, I could I could see that. Um, I'm trying to remember too. Weren't there objects in Space Harrier called Bins Beans or something like that? I, I think so. I, I, I'm not really a hundred percent sure. Was it spelled B I N too? I'm I'm looking into it right now. It's probably the most important research I've ever done. But um, <laughs> in the meantime, <laughs> I'll, 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 t- I'll, uh, I'll talk about the uh, the other big name on the project. Uh, the other big name on this project was uh, Kaiji Okasu. I can't really say his name, but he went as Okachan slash Punk Boy, right? Hmm. Who was credited for uh, making the ranking system in this game. Uh, later in his career, he would be asked to port uh, Virtual Fighter on the Sega Saturn and later became Sega uh, Virtual Fighter Remix. While it was rushed and buggy, he was actually it actually impressed people at Sega that he was able to get that project out on time. So he was promoted to direct Virtual Fighter 2 and eventually became game director, program director, and director for Shinmu. And his last project was a director in Shinmu 3. So this guy's an OG Sega guy, especially for AM2 and Yuzuzuki. Um, uh, mostly everyone in this game went by nicknames, which was typical in the 80s for Japan. For example, Dynamite Ducks, uh, the whole design, the character design and all that, we don't even know who's the guy that did that. Like, They went by Kaio-chan, which is a common uh, writer reference, but we don't know the real name. And then there's another designer listed as Fixed Time and Man. So there's a lot of developers here that we don't know. Uh, we talked a lot about uncredited creators on older games and had episodes where we agreed they deserve recognition. Uh, who do you think, uh, like, how do you think Sega could, like, uh, basically pay honor to these developers that don't have a name or a, an actual developer name link to their nickname? Because, like, Dynamite Ducks is never going to have a re-release, right? Like, how would they be right. able to do that outside of, like, I guess making their own Wikipedia page where they, like, finally give everyone credit for every single game that ever released? Yeah, it it would be interesting. I mean, I, I don't see Sega having any interest in going back and fixing this. Um, it would be nice, though. I mean, if Sega Forever wanted to, like, spend a little time, like, doing highlights of people who have kind of got lost in the woodwork just because of the way naming was uh, done at the time. That would be pretty cool. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, we've done our own research in the past and it's very difficult. Like, it is super very difficult. difficult. And that'd be an interesting, like, I don't know, maybe like a series or something or like, I'm surprised there's not more YouTube videos on the idea of these like nicknamed lost people in video games, you know? Right, and I, I do have an update on Bins Bean. Oh. So they are, B, B, it's spelled B-I-N-S-B-E-I-N, one word, and it is those little um, shapes that float in the air, um, you know, in, in, in Space Harrier. Mm-hmm, in the, uh, in the first date? So, yeah, I think so. And I looked, and there's nothing else that says they're like, that is anything outside of a thing that exists in Space Harrier. So it must be another thing named after him, you know? Yeah. Or he could have taken the name from there or something. Because I think his first game is that Afterburner, I mean, uh, Space Harrier Master System port. So, mm-hmm. um, like I said, Yuzuzuki was listed as producer for the game. Um, since games take about a year in development back then, sometimes shorter, Sega AM2 was pumping out. This is what they did in since 87 to 89. Afterburner, right. 87, which uh, lead developer and programmer used Azuki for both. They did one and two the same year. Then Power Drift, which Yuzuki was director and designer. Dynamite Ducks, just producer. Turbo Outrun, special thanks. Sort of Vermilion, mm-hmm. producer. So uh, right. I, think, I think it's obvious to say that Yuzuki was... Doing uh, Power Drift, Afterburner 2, and 1. And these other games were just done by other people in this team that had nothing to do because he was doing everything. He, he has openly 
said that, I mean, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but that sort of Vermillion he has like no connection to. Because when Shenmue was coming out, people were citing that sort of Vermillion was really his first RPG. And they were like, so this is kind of the successor to sort of Vermillion. And in interviews, he was like, I was a producer on it. I had no creative input. Like, that's not my game. <laughs> well, you you answered yeah you answered the question because I said how you th- how much hands on do you think you did and like if he did nothing for Sword of Vermilion I'm sure he did almost nothing for this game too. I mean that's possible, but Sword of Vermilion has no representation in Shenmue, and yet he went out of his way to put like well I guess those are Sonic the Fighters right he never yeah. put the blue yeah so maybe he doesn't <laughs> we should ask him. I don't know. Like, well, next Kickstarter, we'll um, get a dinner in France with him or whatever they have as a reward. And then we'll sit down, fly out there and be like, do you remember Dynamite Ducks? And he'll say no. And then we'll say thank you and leave. You know what? Is is being the Dynamite in Shimu or is it three or Shimu one and two? I don't think he is in it. Okay, because I th- I was wondering if he was in it because I was like in my notes I didn't find him on it and I'm like I wonder if Sega Retro just didn't list it. No, okay, he's not in it. All right, I was gonna say let's talk about some actual. Uh, let's talk about the game actually. Um, with the game story, which uh, you have guessed, takes a real dragon, uh, double dragon approach to it, which seems to be a big influence on this game. The game starts with a girl named Lucy being kidnapped by an evil sorcerer named Sorcerer Achacha. And its <laughs> player's mission is to rescue, and you play as two anthropomorphic red and blue ducks who are named Ben and Pin. Uh, ben being the blue one and Pin being the red one. Very similar to the concept behind uh, Double Dragon where the two twin brothers are rescuing their kidnapped love interest. But mm-hmm. uh, just like Ben and Pin... Uh, they are blue and red. Uh, Double Dragon's protagonist, B- Billy, is blue and Jimmy is red. So Jimmy, uh, so it's get it. It's like Ben, Pen, Billy, and Jimmy. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it sort of feels like Sega, uh, someone at Sega Game 2 saw beat em ups released by other companies that seem to be more mature themed and uh, saw an avenue aimed for kids. Or do you think they were kind of taking a joke out of these games that they were so violent, like grim? I I feel like Sega was savvy enough to think that maybe we should like if we're going to do another beat 'em up let's try something different so it's not all adult so that we can, you know, bring the kids in and maybe give them like a an entry level beat 'em up cuz you know full well that there's going to be some parents who are like you're not playing Streets of Rage or not Streets of Rage that wasn't in arcades but you know what I mean like yeah. you're not going to play Golden Axe that looks way too violent they have axes I'll play this funny cartoon game I just I, think, I don't feel like AM2 was ever a developer that was like tongue in cheek. They seemed very like straight laced. Yeah, <laughs> they definitely of. did. I have to agree with you on that one. Um, I will say mm-hmm. that the closest we got in America because this game didn't come out in America, it came out in Europe and I think Japan, some places in Europe, um, mm-hmm. was like the Simpsons game. That one was also that's what kind I was of violent. Say. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's the closest we got. I think that one also has kind of like dodgy hit detection when you hit enemies. Mm-hmm. Because of the like cartoony aspect of it, I think this one does has the same problem. I, maybe it's just the way the characters are shaped and uh, how big they are on screen. But uh, right. yeah, um, outside of that, like, uh, do you see any other genre that is not rep- like? I never noticed how grim and dark uh, these beat 'em up games usually are. Like Streets of Rage, Double Dragon, Final Fight, uh, Golden Axe—they're all like wastelands. <laughs> like none of them yeah. are like positive or different like that it's like gangsters all the time (laughs) so i always thought so that's interesting i never really saw it that way when i played those games i just play them because they're uh, fun to play but yeah so that's interesting let's talk about the oh i was gonna say you're the duck expert so i want to talk a little bit about (laughs) the ducks in this game Uh um first of all we uh we're gonna talk about uh, ben and pin the characters are designed and influenced by early mascot character cartoons quite like mario and sonic were the ducks wear a red bow ties white gloves and big shoes um what is uh what is your opinion on like my only like i like the ducks i think they're well designed i think they should use them more which we'll talk more about uh ben the dynamite but my only problem is the bow ties being red on both. I I just think that uh, Pin should have a blue bow tie. 
instead of a red yeah. bow tie. That's a good point. Besides that, great characters. I like them. Um, do you think they're like? Uh, what's your opinion on these characters? I mean, they do. They are Bean's parent. I mean, they're Bean's. They're parents. kind of like Mickey Mouse combined with Donald Duck because they've got the Mickey shoes, and but then they got the bow tie, which is yeah. Is it like Warner I mean, Brothers. I, I guess so. I think the best aspect is the way they design the hair, where it kind of is one... It's almost like reverse Sonic. It's like if Sonic pushed his hair forward. And obviously that translates really well once you get into Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, I'm trying to remember, too, what shoes uh, Bean the Dynamite has. I I actually looked that up because I was looking at the shoes. I I didn't even know what these shoes were. Bean has more like a Sonic design. Yeah, so early on in the Sonic games, everyone had Sonic shoes. Yeah. It was like, it was like, uh, who was there? There was um, Mighty, Ray, and Bean all wore Sonic's shoes. And then as time went on, they, like in the comic books, they would alter the designs of them. And it's interesting because, yeah, uh, Bean's shoes went from being Sonic shoes without socks to Sonic shoes with socks, but with like a double stripe. And then they went back to Sonic shoes without socks in the latest uh, comic, I think, that came out for the 30th anniversary. But yeah, whereas these are just kind of like maroon, cloggy Mickey Mouse shoes. So I would yeah. say the only down... I I prefer the design of Bean the Dynamite with the, the handkerchief... And the Sonic shoes to like big clumpy shoes and the bow tie, um, and I think it was a mistake to give a red bird a red bow tie because it looks like he just has like a really thick bump on his neck. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of yeah. weird. Um, but I think too with the the red and blue color, I I have to wonder if it was a design choice because if they were going to do grassy settings, a green bird would get lost in the background. Oh, I'm you know sure. what I mean? I'm sure. And the dark blue at least works, so if you are on a blue sky, it's going to definitely stand out. But that must there must be some thought behind character design back then, where they were like, we don't want to match colors to the background. So you're not going to see gray characters, green characters, or light blue characters, really. And that's what, <laughs> I guess, Sonic kind of stands out there. But they always made the, the sky dark blue when Sonic was a lighter blue. Oh, yeah. I don't know. That's all I think about. I, I I did put, I don't know, I did the, these notes late at night, but I did put that, it kind of reminded me, the character, Ben, of Flicky. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, maybe they're just two birds, and I'm like, I don't know, there's, there has to be something there, right? They're related, of course, they're, they're cousins. Yeah, and Sonic also sniped Flicky and made it his own. Yeah, and so. he... They kind of did this with Dynamite Ducks, sort of. I guess AM2 kind of handed it to them during when they made Sonic the Fighters. But uh, what's your opinion on Sega AM2 trying to like copy? The, oh, we we talked a lot already about Bin and Pin. Actually, we could just move on to the next character, which is the female Lucy, uh, who she kind of sports this bright pink hair and is wearing a blue dress, which is like I thought it was like a ninja kind of like outfit hmm. for some reason but then i looked at other artwork and she's it, it definitely isn't it's just like a it's like it has like a collar on the top but it's like a dress with a white belt and a white shirt underneath and like mm-hmm. knee, socks that go all the way up to her knees they're white too and blue shoes so that's what she looks like huh. um i mean she's just the typical anime girl that all these I developers say, were, yeah. were in love with in the 80s that they all watched anime like she, she like repeats a lot in a lot of Sega games. Like this type of like girl character, right? And it's interesting too. This was 1988, and when 1991 rolled around, they were doing Sonic. They were like, "Well, we have to give him a girlfriend, like a human girlfriend named Madonna." Yeah. So, it's it's almost like this. I mean, this was a common trend where it was like cartoonish character, and then girlfriend who's a human. I don't know where that started. I mean, in Roger Rabbit, it was funny. And Roger Rabbit came out around this time, so maybe that's what they were going for. for maybe it, that's what the Japanese were like. Oh wow, she's sexy, and it seems cool with the Americans. They like it. 
I Roger actually, Rabbit was um, I think it's eighty eight. I think the I think the arcade version is implied that she's uh, just friends with the ducks, but I think in, you're thinking about the Master System version. That's an, there's an actual relationship with one of the characters because like he's a human that turns into a duck in the Master Master System version. Okay, because like we'll talk but about it the Master seems System. Seems like J- the Japanese were like all about that in the late eighties and oh, early nineties. Yeah, sure. Like it was like teaming a cartoon character with. Like an animal cartoon with a human girl, weird. <laughs> they were furries, dude. They were furries. That's what's. That's. They were the early furries at Sega. They were opening it up for everyone else. The next character we have is uh, Sorcerer Achacha, the main villain oh, of, of the game. Uh, but does he really look like a sorcerer? The man ha- wears a golden crown with a stylized golden beetle in the middle instead of a jewel. Is overweight, has a five o'clock shadow, and is wearing like orange and blue clothing with a lot of ruffles, like a king. Um, I don't know. His design's weird. He just looks like a drunken dude that they saw at a bar, and they're like, "This guy's gonna be the sorcerer." But we made he him look like, like a king. Um, he looks like Dodan Pa from Team Sonic Racing. I don't know who that is. That's the big cat guy that oh. like has a crown and floats, and oh, he's yeah, like yeah. the master of ceremonies. He looks like a king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kind of does. If he was a human, <laughs> if like they yeah. turned him into a human. What's your opinion on this guy's character? This is the last boss fight where he's like, I guess has like a statue of stones that look like balls. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say he kind of looks forgettable. And speaking of balls, his like nose is like a scrotum. Pretty much, yeah, and it goes up to a golden beetle. I mean, what's that symbolizing, you know? I don't know. That's (laughs) a very strange design. Yeah, very strange. But I think Hmm. the last character we're going to talk about is probably the most important character in this game. You ever heard of Colonel Sanders? Of course. He's uh, a character from Fantasy Star Online 2 or something, right? Yep. Or Universe. He makes an appearance outside in the first level outside of a Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, at the start mm-hmm. of the game, and later there's a mini game where both characters box it out, and he's the referee for some reason. He's the referee. <laughs> like they couldn't find anyone else to like referee a, a boxing match between them, and they're like Colonel Sanders, and he showed up from the grave in That's this game. So bizarre, isn't it bizarre that like this is part of the KFC multiverse? Like, I mean, there is like they have consoles, TV drama. When are they going to have Dynamite Ducks show up in the TV show? Right. Well, I mean, that was the whole thing, though. Like, KFC, Colonel Sanders was a real person. And then they kind of just ran with him being the mascot. And he and then he died. Yeah. And they, were just a, and they were just a fried chicken place with this old guy's face. And then around, like, the late 80s, I think they realized that the Japanese loved Colonel Sanders. So they were like, screw it. Let's make him... I mean, a meme before memes were memes, basically. Like, they were like, go all out, make the most ridiculous cameos for Colonel Sanders, put him in games. Because, I mean, Ronald McDonald had video games by this time, so they were yeah, probably just I, like, I screw it. It's a little extra morbid when it's like an actual person. You know what I mean? That's what's so weird. This is a real person. Yeah. Like, who who was well dead by this point, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, here I go uh, looking doing up nice... how I think he died like a long when, time ago, when... dude. Like he we died born. in 1980, so eight years before he lived for a long time. He was an old man, but you look at him—he he obviously chicken. was a real person. It was it's just chicken, bizarre. Dude. And then they started doing commercials where it was like different comedians playing him, and then they did like that soap opera, oh, like yeah. an actual soap opera movie. It's just bizarre. But imagine this. Crazy Taxi, too. He died, and like four years later, they had him in a Japanese video game promoting chicken still. Like, imagine being like your grandfather, and you're like, oh, cool. Uh, Grandpa's in the new Dynamite (laughs) Ducks game. It's like, okay. (laughs) And it's weird, too, because if they were chickens, it would make more sense, but they're ducks. And KFC doesn't sell ducks or are they ducks i guess and he's he's also like him and the sorcerer and lucy are like i guess they're saying that these characters live with these people but it's like i don't know do you really want to see the guy that kills all these chickens being the referee of a boxing like a cock i mean duck fight not none (laughs) (laughs) right right yeah it's a little weird a little morbid but um let's talk about the music 
Uh, the music's actually really good for this game, uh, even though it's really short. It's done by Sega AM2 Legend Hero. Um, back then, uh, all these soundtracks for the arcades were really short. Like, Outrun has like three tracks, right? So this soundtrack clocks in at 17 minutes. The game probably takes you like 30 minutes to beat. So that's a pretty lengthy soundtrack for an arcade. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say that it's more of an EP than an, like an actual album. If you're a band and you release 17 minutes, you're calling it an EP. You're not calling it a uh, full release. Uh, right, right. And that's why um, data discs in their albums were like doubling up Sega arcade titles because there's not enough for one, a two-sided record. It's just oh, kind yeah. of funny. And yeah. uh, the music is very up-tempo, uh, something that you would find from a typical mascot platformer game at the time. But it's done really well. Uh, we're going to listen a little bit of this track that we got called Japan. And like one thing I will say about the game, it jumps all over the place. It's like randomly you're in Japan, you're in a cave, you're in Chicago, then you're like in Texas. It's like there's no right, like rhythm or anything for what they do. But let me, uh, oh, can you hear it? No, I can listen on my end though. Yeah. So it's like very jazzy, good. I mean, I don't. Does this remind you of Japan? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No. When I, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't really. It's just a good track. I wonder if he just wrote the tracks and didn't even know what was happening at the time. Like he was just like, oh, we have a new plat- uh, mascot platformer. Let me see the character. All right, and he just writes six tracks. Here you go. And then they just like mix right. and match, match them because that doesn't sound Japanese at all, but it sounds good. So I'll give them that. And uh, you, I mean, you don't. There's never going to be a physical release of this album. I'm assuming in, in any uh, present time. I think if Cartridge Thunder or like uh, you know Data Disc do have the balls, it, it would be pretty sick to have this and the like Master System and all the whatever unused songs that Hero might have lying around or remixes in a in a like actual album just for this with artwork and stuff i think it'd be cool because this game hasn't really gotten love and having a soundtrack for it would be pretty cool especially since it's you know a legendary uh, composer right you want to talk about you have anything to say about the soundtrack or you want me to move on to the ports of the game move along <laughs> oh my god wow the attitude oh did you guys i mean Behind I mean, what am scenes? I going to say? It's 17 minutes of music that doesn't really match any of the stages. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> port-wise, the game was actually uh, quite a bit of ports. The, uh, there was one on the uh, the CPC, the Commodore 64, and the uh, ZX Spectrum. But those they call weren't... it the ZX Spectrum. <laughs> is that how you say it? X, say it again? No, but they say Z is Z over oh. there in... in... Okay, the, my bad. The jolly old UK. Yeah. My bad. Okay. Um, I, I didn't know that. But um, so the the only port that was actually handled by Sega was the Master System version. And that sadly, sadly only came out in pal- ter- territories and in Brazil. This was a huge mm-hmm. demake since they had to actually make a 16-bit arcade game all the way down to a 8-bit console game, which is like a huge downgrade. Like... From 16-bit arcade to 16-bit consoles was already a downgrade. So, like, 8-bit, way more. Uh, They also Mm -hmm. changed the the plot, like we talked about before, where Ben is actually a human that turns into a duck, and Lucy's his girlfriend, and he has to rescue her. Uh, And I already said you already don't like the whole girlfriend uh, animal thing, but that was basically the question (laughs) here. Yeah, I don't like it either. Um, So... While I said we're just going to talk about the... What, what's your opinion on the Master System version of this game? You did play this one, right? Yeah, it's it's fine. It's I, I mean, I don't I don't think it's going to make any like top 10 lists or anything. No. But it's... I mean, there aren't really any cutesy beat-em-ups on the Master System outside of this. So, you know, yeah. it, it's it, there if you, if you want to check it out. But yeah, Master System library in general is just kind of strange because it's like a mix of original ips that never went anywhere uh demakes or like massive massive ips that got their start there 
you know, so it's like you're between Fantasy Star, Dynamite Ducks, and then like Zillion, you know, it's just, yeah. it's such a strange mix. Yeah, I yeah. have to I have to agree with you. The Master System version is just whatever. I think I, I didn't mention it, but there's one stage missing on it, the jungle stage, which again it, it's an eight bit demake, and with these demakes there was always um the them not doing releasing every single level. They would take some out, especially like the what's that one? Uh right Rice Star. That one did the same thing too. The fact right. that it's just one level is actually kind of uh pretty good. So now let's talk about that sexy, dirty, naughty Easter egg that was hidden within Dynamite Ducks. There was a video done by Larry Bundy Jr. You uh, probably mm-hmm. seen him on Twitter, Barry. Um, which yeah, he, yeah, he was the last Channel Awesome guy because they forgot to remove him from the site and he never quit. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, everyone was jumping ship and he just like forgot that they even were cross-posting his videos until a year later. And then Uh-oh. he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> He's pretty popular. I mean, anyway. this video has millions of yeah. views. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, it, so the ending was for the Amiga and the Atari ST versions, which weren't handled by Sega, but it's it's kind of smutty. Do you have that uh, that link to the text right there? Because it's uh, if you try to read it off the screen, it's impossible, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, I don't know if you, want to read, right if you want to read it real quick while I play the video for the people at home. The infamous cutscene. Like the HT. Oh, oh, oh. You see Larry it right Bundy. There? Did... The, the... Do you want me to read the HTTP no. for people? No, under it. Like there's a. Oh, uh, Larry the... Bundy. Right there. Uh, it's, there's a link. I'll do, I'll do it. So. Okay. The ending of the game is basically kind of like the ending of the actual game, but there's nudity. Uh, so, and in a different ending, like story, which is smutty, right? So the mm-hmm. <laughs> the game. Let me put the video up. I'll play it and I'll uh, narrate it for everyone. It basically says. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. One day, Lucy was playing with herself while Ben and Pin were buggering each other in the beautiful flower garden. When suddenly, oh an evil black pimp appeared and changed into some kinky leather gear while they were watching. Lucy started startled and orgasmed at the size of the miracle balls and disappeared with the pimp to his sleazy brothel. Therefore, Ben and Pin stopped giving each other one and ventured into the brothel, not wanting to miss out. Uh, so that's the, the uh, story in the uh, dirty version of the game. This was hidden within the game. And uh, obviously... Uh, this was probably developers just basically having to laugh with each other and then hiding it within the game. Um, have you ever hidden any dirty jokes in your artwork, Barry? <laughs> no. Not on this level. Yeah, that's no. what I'm saying. It's, like, insane that it was in there. And not only that, that they, like... They actually went in the sprite and animated it and made the lettering. Like, the lettering was custom in the, in the video. So it's, like, you guys, like, spend time... To making this muddy story version of it, you think they were like trying to make a black, a bootleg version of it to sell, like a dirty version? I have no idea. They must have just had extra time on their hands and thought it was funny, but it's just so bizarre that they did it. I have to one hundred percent agree. It's one of the weirdest things uh, I've seen online, to be honest with you. But now we get to talk about something you love: Sonic Uh-oh. the Fighters. Right? You're you're a Sonic expert on the site. Oh boy. Oh, I guess so, yeah. I'm the only one left, so I have to be the expert. It's very, like, I don't think there's that many Sonic fans anymore. Like, I went online and I put Sonic fans. None of them popped up. It was just a picture of you and, like, one other dude that I that hasn't been online for, like, six, three years. So that makes yeah, you the yeah. last one. All right, all right. Cut so it. the uh, so the, the Dynamite Ducks duck duo was almost forgotten until 1996 when Sega AM2 debuted Sonic the Fighters, which featured a new green fighter named Bean the Dynamite, a bomb expert cons- uh, considering his name. Also, an interesting note, Bean the Dynamite breaks the Sonic the Hedgehog tradition by uh, by ending the, the name after the the without, with his out... Like, he's supposed to be the animal, right? So it's Sonic the Hedgehog. Right. And he's just Bean the Dynamite, not being the woodpecker, which we'll get into, but... If you see him, you'd say he was a duck, right? Just like Ben and Pin uh, in Dynamite mm-hmm. Ducks. 
But according to the Fighters Mega Mix official guide, uh, Bean is actually, uh, well, not only is Ben, the blue one, his father, the blue duck, but his son is actually a woodpecker. And no, Sega never explained why a bird had a woodpecker <laughs> son. I'm assuming right. he, the mom's a woodpecker, I guess. I don't know how that works in uh, Sonic Universe. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. So uh, there's a few other characters that break this tradition of the name. I think uh, Fang, the sniper, is another one that breaks the tradition of the animal name. I guess if you do the other one. What's his other name? Is Fang the sniper? Uh, Knack the weasel. I think Knack the weasel. Yeah, so it's half and half, yeah, right? Yeah, and then there is another case of a animal in the Sonic universe being questionable as to which animal they are. And that's Princess Sally, who is like a chipmunk and a squirrel like it's unknown which one so i think it's like maybe her dad was a chipmunk and her mom was a squirrel i don't know but do you it's weird do you mind them breaking the tradition of the typical sonic name by doing something like being the dynamite uh and do you think like something like being the woodpecker or being the ducks have the same ring to it i i always found fang the sniper and being the dynamite to be kind of like I don't, I don't want to, I guess I'll use the word, the term English, you know, yeah. it's like, it, it sounds like something was lost in translation. It just sounds like maybe in Japanese that sounded a lot better than being the dynamite in English, which is why, you know, Knack the Weasel was changed from Fang the Sniper. Um, honestly, I would have called it Fang the Wolf and then being the woodpecker, I think would have been fine, but yeah, because, like, what's... I, I like the name Bean, and I like the name Fang, but, yeah, it, it is kind of strange to call them a dynamite. Like, what is the dynamite? Yeah, I didn't even really think about know. it like that until I was doing the notes, and they said that that's kind of a tradition with Sonic characters, and I'm like, yeah, hey, you're right, actually, and there's only a few that kind of break it, so... Interesting, and, it, yeah. and it's... And Ian Flynn... Ian Flynn gets really weird. Like, if you've been reading the recent IDW stuff, it'll not. be like... It'll be like there will be one that's like oh it's like a, a like a weird like fish you've never heard of and I looked at it I'm like oh this thing's real like you know echidna we didn't really know what echidnas were over here in yeah. America until we saw knuckles so he's but doing like, that Ian Flynn's like going like another level up and being like here's a deep sea sea creature you've never heard of and now it's a main character in the Sonic comics like it's I mean. If it works, I don't know. Like, I want a dog. Like, there's no dog, is there? I'm trying to think. Cats. I think we might have maybe seen like a background character in Sonic Forces, but uh, oh, like puppies or something. Yeah, yeah. But they've never had like an actual character with like characterization. You mean like an actual like being the dynamite's a character? Like he's not just the right because Buddy was a wolf, I think. Buddy the wolf. (laughs) So. The crazy oh. thing, though, like a, that Bean's involvement in Sonic the Fighters actually kept the Dynamite Ducks legacy alive, at least. Like, if it wasn't for Bean the Dynamite, we probably would never have a character that even looks like Bean or him being part of the Sega universe or Sonic universe. So let's look at some of his cameos in some of the games. First, we have in Sonic Generations, Bean was one of the wanted posters in uh, City Escape. Then we had him in Sonic Mania when Bean and Bark and Fang make an appearance on Mirage Saloon as illusions in the boss fight uh, with mm-hmm. Heavy magic- Magician. And in the same stage, they also have the, the same uh, wanted posters again. Um, in Fighters Mega Mix, he's unlockable. And once you unlock him, if you press, if you double tap down and then you press Punch Kick Guard on the select screen, uh, you double tap down and then you press punch kick guard. You get a blue one, which is supposed to be Ben from Dynamite Ducks. And he looks beautiful. He looks blue and he's got the little bow tie. He's ready to kick some butt. I, I, I actually like that they added this as an alternative costume. I wish they would have done a red one. I think they have a black and white one, right? I think everyone does, doesn't don't they? Like a black and white color version. I think you could be right, yeah. And he was also... In Virtual Strikers 2, which is, like, the weirdest look. Like, he's so huge compared to everyone that's playing the game. Like, like he's, like, 10 feet tall. Everyone else is, like, 5'11", right? 
And uh, in Virtual uh, Strikers 2, Bean, Bean appears as a M, uh, MVP uh, on the MVP Yuki-chan team, which is a secret team you unlock. Um, I never played Virtual Striker 2. I'm not a big uh, soccer fan, but I like the fact that they added him in the soccer game. Why not? Why not? Um, oh, I guess I don't have the image of the other one. It skipped. But basically, Bean joined Archie Sonic the Hedgehog uh, from issue nine, uh, 106, uh, 160, mm-hmm. uh, along with Bark. Uh, the Archie characterization has him as a goofy and eccentric with mood swings and extreme reactions that makes him dangerous. He likes shiny objects and explosions, which makes sense with his character. He was part of some big storylines in Archie which will probably be covered in a future Archie episode, maybe. Like, if we ever do one on minor characters that show up during the run. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, But in IDW, he came back as a wacky mercenary from another dimension set in the recent past. Did you read him in uh, IDW? Yeah, Okay. I have. And uh, is it that much different? Because from what I've seen, he also works with Chaotix team people. I mean, not Chaotix, no, but Fang and... Yeah, he, he's not that different, and I think it's because Ian Flynn kind of created his Archie persona, and so he just kind of carried that over to the IDW books. And the whole shiny thing, it's goofy, but whatever, you know. <laughs> so, apparently the Archie comic, uh, I don't know about this, it was, a, it was in the Wikipedia page, and I tried to find a scan of the comic that, that did the, the whatever, that we're, well, basically... Archie uh, hinted that Bean's parent uh, were f- or they were from uh, Tales Adventures Island, that island with all the birds. I forgot what the island was called, but uh, Tales Adventure was a Cuckoo. 1995, yeah, Game Gear game. Remember when the island yeah. full of birds? So the idea is that yeah. he's from that island, and he ties into Tales Adventure, which would be cool for fans. You know, I mean, Ian Flynn's like pretty smart with that. Right. Yeah, that would be, I think, in the Sonic Universe comics, which were, like, starring all the characters but Sonic. So you'd get, like, a Tails arc. And, yeah, I I, I definitely remember reading that one. Okay. so That's cool. Was it hinted at, like, super hinted at, or was it just, like, told to you, like, he's from that island? Uh, I, I can't recall, but I do remember it being... There, there being some sort of mention or reference in there. Mm. But, yeah, yeah, Ian Flynn, he definitely... Uh, he knows what's up. So, I'm not a super <laughs> professional, but what's Sega's stance on Archie Comics' continuation like that? Like, or Ian Flynn. Like, he does all these, like, little cool things where it, he ties these little things in and gives you little, like... He's kind of just tying in lot loose ends for Sonic Team, and then, like, Sonic so, Team forgets. In terms of, like, canon, so we have the Sonic games, obviously, and the canon's kind of rebooted and reset and get, been rejiggered again and again. Um, but where we are right now with Sonic Forces referencing, you know, everything all the way back to, heck, I guess, Sonic Mania and the classic series, that's all one canon, obviously, like game canon. Mm. And then they released, between the cancellation of Archie and the announcement of IDW, there was these digital comics. Do you remember those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To promote and Forces, they were right? prequels. Yeah, they were prequels to Sonic Forces, those are game canon as well, even though they're comics from former Archie uh, staff members, because the story came from Sega and Sonic Team. So that is canon to the IDW canon now, which treats all the games as canon. However, the ID the games are not uh, tied to the comics. So whatever changes in the games, the comics either need to adapt. Or they're going to have to split apart, and I don't mm. think they want to do that. Now they do have that book coming out, the Sonic Encyclopedia, which <laughs> is coming out I think next month, and I'm really excited to see that just because I think it might be a big deal for like Sonic canon because it is probably going to have Ian Flynn coming in and doing what he does to the comics, but like to the games. So he'll probably make these connections and like create a new canon timeline and i know it was a big deal when um zelda did that remember the zelda history book that came out and people like oh my god it has the timeline for the games oh yeah yeah oh there are alternate timelines yeah and then i i just wanted to throw this in there because i was i was tip tapping around while you were talking earlier uh totally paying attention to you of course um but when that comic came out that digital comic 
they would send for Sonic Forces, they would send like uh, press kits to us or press files, and they included the PDF files, so you could or the the Photoshop files, so you could open them and you could actually see the layers and like the discarded art and like the titles. And what I thought was really interesting was that so le- during the development of Forces, the the Avatar had a working name as Buddy, and they changed it to Avatar. Um, and then when we were seeing that wolf character, that kind of became the default Avatar for all the advertising. We had glasses. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we were the first ones to call him Buddy, and the reason for that is I believe someone told me before Forces was revealed either like the week before that trailer, that there was going to be a buddy character. And I think that was kind of the rumor for a while. And so as soon as that trailer came up, I started calling him Buddy the Wolf Mm. on um, Twitter. And I just, while we were talking here, I did like a Twitter advanced search. So we were definitely the first people to refer to that character as Buddy the Wolf. And what's interesting is that in those layer files they refer to that character as Buddy. So I don't know if we, or I should say me specifically, like inadvertently named a Sonic character, but I think that's kind of cool. That is pretty cool. But <laughs> And and then uh, with David from Sonic Retro, we named the island from Sonic 4. And since Sega will never revisit it, it's, it's canon. as good as canon. Uh, I will say, <laughs> what is your opinion on like Sega kind of like teasing these like, characters as missing with missing posters and stuff with like bean and fang and like and fans asking for them back and i know that like sonic team has been so like anti-friends in the games right like they just stick with the core and sonic as the game play the main the main character so like do you think there's ever going to be a time that they're going to revisit it and they're doing these wanted posters as a sign that they still remember them, or just for fans to be like, shut up, we put them in the poster? I think something Sonic Team and Sega in general has been really terrible at doing with the Sonic franchise is when you have like a um, Team Sonic Racing, they did not give us like the ultimate ros- roster. Like the, the mere fact that um, uh, Sonic Freeriders for the Kinect has a larger roster of Sonic characters than Team Sonic Racing, like a multi-platform racing game. And you see, like, Nintendo all the time doing Mario Kart and Super Smash Brothers, and the whole thing is we will cram as many characters as possible into this. And then Sega's like, yeah, we're not going to put half the Chaotix, we're not going to put Bark and Bean, we're not going to put the um, the Free Riders or the Riders um, Babylon Rogues and it's very stupid, oh, yeah. to be quite honest, of Sega, because we've seen in the community, like, we know people who are like, oh, I'm not really big into Sonic, but I love the birds in Riders. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, really? Yeah, like, I'm like, really? you Like, those are, like, peak characters for you? But, I mean, they exist. So I don't know why, just in how they put uh, Sonic and Monkey Ball to sell units... I don't know why they don't put every single character Sonic character possible. Like the mere fact that uh, Bar or Fang, the sniper, is insanely popular in the comics. Like people love when he shows up. He's like the Boba Fett of Sonic, pretty much. And he's not in any of the games. And then Takashi Azuka will go like on record as saying, "No, no, no. He exists in the classic universe. We will never bring him into the modern." I'm like, so you just basically built a wall. For no reason, where you're saying we will never give modern redesigns of uh, Mighty Ray, Fang, Bean, and Bark. Like, why? No reason except like he makes these stupid rules in his head. I don't get it. Like someone, someone at Sega needs to like take over Sonic Team, like with an Ian Flynn sort of mindset, and be like, look, you have all these beloved characters. Start sticking them in games because they're blowing up in the comics. Oh, yeah. And and you saw as soon as they made little cameos, as soon as we saw Bean again, in just like, it wasn't even him. It was like a mirage of him. And then when he appeared again in that 30th anniversary comic, like people were so excited. And then Sega's like, 
we're very excited to show you Sonic Rangers. It's going to have a blue... Uh, Avatar. Blue trail that you leave behind Sonic. And it's like, you know, if you just threw, like, a mention of Fang returning to the games, people would be losing it. It's like... I don't know why. They, they, they're they afraid to tell... I don't know. It's weird. It's not like kind of like Sonic Forces where they, like, te- teased all those villains and then they were just holographed. Right. It's like, they hate... And they didn't even use... They didn't even use them all as bosses. Like, Chaos was just in cutscenes. And then on top of that, they didn't throw... Like, if they... Okay, so if it was like... Remember that trailer where it was like Metal Sonic? Yeah. Zavik. And you were like, oh, okay, Chaos. You're like, oh, what if the last one was Fang? Like a totally redesigned modern Fang. People would be losing their shit. They'd be like, oh my god. And instead they're like, no, it's infinite. He's a wolf you've never heard of. Emo. Or a coyote or whatever, and you'll never see him again. Well, you, it's going to be, yeah, you're right. We're, we're never going to see him again. Like pander, that's so weird. Like Sonic Team does not, like they don't pander to fans. No. And it's weird because people accuse them of pandering. They really don't. They like use Green Hill a lot. Yeah, that's, that's about. not the p- fan service. Yeah. Well, they think that because of Generations. And I'm like, dude, Generations was one and forever thing they'd done that was pandering. It's like. Or not, I don't even want to say pandering because pandering's a bad thing. Like fan service. Sega, Sonic Team's afraid to do fan service. I don't understand why. Like Azuka has rules, it doesn't make sense. And his rules are lame, so I don't know. Hopefully, they are. You know what? They they took off Nagoshi, Nagoshi from uh, RGG, which he's actually a good leader. Uh, I mean, maybe Yuzuka's next. Maybe they'll renegotiate his contract and they'll let some younger Ian Flynn type guy take over that is actually cares more about fan service. Because I mean, it's a no brainer. Sonic Mania literally like sold on fan service and old fans, you know. So let's mm-hmm. the last cameo we're gonna get to is the Sega Ages Columns Two uh, cameo. I don't know if you played Sega Ages Columns Two, but once you unlock levels, you'll have Banner Girls from Sega History uh, like put up the little sign. And if you if you oh, nice. if you unlock uh, stages sixteen through twenty, you get to unlock Lucy, uh, the female you uh, the female girl you. Uh, Rescue, and right here you can see a more detailed look at her costume right here. Like I told you, the knee highs, yeah. the, the socks, and the way that the dress looks. So she's not dressed, you know, provocatively or sexy or anything. She's just dressed like a normal girl. And the ducks are here too, Ben and Pin. I like the art. <clears throat> I thought this was pretty cool in Columns too, even though it's like these characters in the background that are holding the sign have nothing to do with the Columns at all. They just added them to this right. release just because for fan service. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And mm, I love it. That's all my notes for Dynamite Ducks. So you want to read? you have anything to say about the game and uh, to close it up? And then we'll get right into Patreon. No, I mean, I, I did a bunch of ranting just to kind of stretch the, <laughs> stretch the episode out a little, uh, to be quite honest. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a... It's a fun game. It's an interesting game. It's a game worth talking about. I mean, we filled an hour talking about it, so there's something to be said. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I just think it's it's so fun to look back at Sega past and see these little games that would have gotten lost and then just through references and like the connective tissue of AM2 and Sonic Team, they become relevant again. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Flicky someday on this show for sure and we'll be like talking probably for an hour just because of all the the crazy connections that the flicky bird has in the sonic franchise i mean the mere fact that flicky is like a stupid little puzzle game or a stupid little you know like yeah it's not stupid but come on in the grand scheme of things and then fast forward to 1999 and like kids and teenagers are like crying in their bedroom because a robot died and then a birdie was going home to its family and it's flicky like <laughs> you know like that's that's the power of sonic and sega and all that sort of stuff so it's it's fun um but yeah if you support us on patreon at any tier any level you get to have your memories read at the end and uh you could you could write a lot and we'll, we'll read it all i mean you know i i'll do it um, so here we have Daniel Andres, who says, The only real memory I have of this game is actually someone else's memory. What the? Is this like the what? Matrix? 
He's like, upload, upload memory of other person. Uh, the Happy Console Gamer's super funny Dynamite Ducks video always comes to mind whenever I hear about this game. Not sure if I should still check out the game sometime or what, but I at least know of the character named Bean and and when I first saw him in Sonic the Fighters. <laughs> yeah, Happy Console Gamer is a big uh, Dynamite Ducks fan. His artwork on his uh, YouTube channel has Dynamite uh, has been on it, so that's pretty cool. Ah. Um, yeah. Cool. And then um, we already read Alex's memory, and then here we have Nicholas Schaefer, who says, I can't wait for this one. I did not know about this game. I always thought Bean was from Tales Adventure. Ooh. Which is sort of true, right? Yeah, tying back to the... Uh, yeah. yeah. So that about does it, except for the reveal of what we are covering next time in two weeks on the episode that will drop just days before Halloween when the public Ooh. release hits. So... George, I think we're going back to the House of the Dead. Oh my god. I thought you were going to do like... Three. That fear game for the Saturn. What's it called? Three? Oh. Yeah, House of the Dead 3. We've done one and two. Look at this. We're moving right along. I love it. Alright? Yeah. Peace. Lock and load. See you guys on the next episode when we talk about scary horror stuff. Bye. Bye. (laughs)